Hi, this is Antonio Luich for Padded Cell Podcast, a conversation around mental health. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Padded Cell Podcast that is recorded during a nationwide lockdown to reduce the spread of COVID-19. I'm Anthony Oluwach. Now, as countries all over the world are taking great steps to restrict the movement of their citizens, asking people to stay at home and shutting down entire sectors of their country's economies, Victims of domestic violence are finding themselves trapped at home with their abusive partners. Children who are abused at home are not able to escape from that reality and are forced to stay at home with their abusers all day, every day. The South African Police Minister Behi Sele stated in a statement that there have been over 2,300 gender-based violence calls and complaints registered since the beginning of the lockdown on March 27th until March 31st, 2020. Early reports from China show at least a tripling of domestic violence with cities across Europe and the UK also reporting surges in domestic violence calls. Even before the pandemic, an average of 20 people in the United States experience physical domestic violence every minute. This number has risen significantly since the stay-at-home orders started being put in place. This is a global crisis over and above a pandemic that is causing thousands of deaths every day. A large reason for this is that where victims previously found space to breathe, whether at work or for social reasons, they are now spending all their time at home with their abusers. Likewise, children are not able to attend school, which many parents consider a safety net. To help tackle this, the French government announced that it will be paying for victims to stay in hotels, whilst pop-up counselling centres will be installed in shops in the hope that women out buying groceries will be able to access them easily. In the United Kingdom, the police are encouraging victims to use what they are calling a silent call by calling the emergency number 999 and then dialing 55. The police say that they will recognise the call as a cause for concern. The main question is, what options do victims of domestic violence have when everyone is under government order to stay at home? They cannot go to hotels. They cannot seek refuge with relatives. What options exist? Joining me today to have this incredibly pertinent conversation is Rosie Motane. She is a Pan-African queer feminist writer, speaker and activist, and is the owner and founder of Worker Talent Agency. Hello, Rosie. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for the exposure. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, okay, well, I'm South African. I've been, I started my career in the entertainment industry uh, over two decades ago. Um, I, after I graduated from, from university with a BA in Dramatic Arts, and um, I suppose I went into the first part of my career was was on screen as a TV presenter. And then I was very fortunate to to have starred in one of South Africa's most popular soap operas, Generations, which literally launched my career as an actress. And then after that, I, you know, I realized that I needed to branch out and do other things with the industry. And and while I was presenting on a show, I saw that there was very little but there were very little um, female producers, and so I trained to become a producer on that show. And fortunately, that show took me across Africa and introduced me to the beauty and wonder and splendor of what Africa has to offer, which then led Great. me into realizing that, you know, there was a huge gap in the entertainment representation uh, market. So um, South Africa at the time, this was, this was about 2004, 
Um, a lot of there were a lot of management and agencies representing Actors TV presenters in, in the southern region, but very little representing the rest of Africa. And so I saw that gap and began to 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 mediate contracts and get and get certain jobs and gigs for for artists. And then before I knew it, I realized it was more than a hobby and it was, became a business. And that's when I registered my 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 business, Waka Talent Agency. And so now we represent TV and radio personalities, um, speakers, and uh, digital influencers and brand ambassadors from the continent. And then on my other career, when I was starting out in the acting world, um, I became involved in the activism space. And I was trained through a women's organization called People Opposing Women Abuse which is an NGO based in Johannesburg. And my training including counseling, court preparation for victims of domestic violence and abuse, understanding the myths and misconceptions around abuse. And during that time, my brand was very, very, I suppose, very, very uh, relevant and out there. So I used my brand to create awareness on abuse, to create awareness on what people's rights are and so forth. And before I knew it, um, that became another part of my, my career. And I've been volunteering for power ever since. Um, I sat on the board for many, many years. But my, my role has been in advocacy, creating awareness, trying to find more partnerships, um, and, and, and getting the word out there in terms of what we can do and calling out perpetrators and, and seeing what we can do in terms of curbing gender-based violence um, in the country. Oh, great. And, and, and that's actually basically what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about gender-based violence and domestic abuse in, in, in this time that we are all under lockdown. And as you said, you, you, you speak about issues around gender-based violence. You've, you've been uh, calling out perpetrators. Uh, what, can you just tell us a little bit about what the situation has been in South Africa around gender-based violence? You know, up, up, before, before the lockdown, we we could and it's not it's not a nice title to have but we can honestly say that we were in serious crisis uh the 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 rates of femicide which is um uh, people being killed by their intimate partners gender-based violence domestic violence is incredibly incredibly high i mean our statistics state that they're very high but as we know and and from the work that we've done over the years and working not just with power but with other activists and other organizations we know that those stats are only based on people actually reporting crimes. So what Sorry. we found in, in, in most, in a lot of instances, is that people don't know what their rights are, so that the crimes aren't reported, and they're caught up in this web, the cycle of violence. So if it's from a small community or even an affluent community, where it's still that social stigma that we don't let people talk about what's happening behind closed doors, people don't go out and report it. Then you also have the reality. Um, of corruption, which happens in every country, where dockets will go missing, police often bribing perpetrators, saying, well, right. if you give me this a certain amount of money, you know, we can, we can make the case disappear. Um, and then also then you get the case of when somebody does have the courage to walk into a police station and open up a crime, you'll have a police person saying, well, are you sure it really happened? Well, you know, if it is rape between a marriage couple, it wasn't really rape. So all of these different ideologies which have been driven from, from a patriarchal ideology and years of, of misogyny 
um, a lot of cases don't even get onto the roll. So the minute that the case has not been recorded or put down or opened up, a, 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 there's no case number, that, that, that falls under, out of the range of, of falling into to the stats of the country. So, so going back to your question, we, we were in a crisis. We were in a serious, serious crisis. Uh, not only in terms of the judicial system, um, also finding safety uh, shelters and safe, safe spaces for, for victims and survivors of domestic violence. Um, and then you also have the inequality or the gender inequality gap. So a lot of the time, and I mean, we'll get into the different levels of abuse, but a lot of the time, abuse is on, on a financial level where either a person has not been working for many years and therefore is dependent on the perpetrator to survive and to look after their family, or in some cases, and, and I think people need to know this, is that it also happens in very affluent households where, say, the woman is bringing in a lot more money but is handing over the money to the man purely because, of, because he's supposed to be the man of the house and she's not supposed to control the finances. So it's all of these different attributes that people that have, have contributed to, to the high level of gender-based violence within the country. Then we also have, and I, and I, and I specifically use the word gender-based violence, because for many years, people would talk about um, violence against women. And yes, that is very, very high. But you also need to understand that there's a lot of violence that happens within the LGBTQI community um, amongst Absolutely. each other. And then you also have another level of violence a society has on, for instance, trans people. So uh, trans people, and, and this is something that I've, I've only discovered in the last year, is that a lot of there are a lot of people that are dying from really, really simple types of illnesses purely because when they go into a hospital or into a clinic or into a doctor's room, they're discriminated against because of who they are. And that in, in itself is a violence in itself, and it's a human rights violation. So people who might go in for a common cold or a common flu don't get the adequate medical advice and medical, medical care purely because of who they are. So that's another level of violence that we're dealing with. And then you also look at, I mean, rape in this country is, is incredibly, incredibly high. And there's so many just other areas where, where they aren't reported properly, cases are bungled because the evidence isn't taken into account, all of these different things. But there's another sector which a lot of people aren't talking about is also the violence against black lesbians or the violence against gay people. When they do go and report a crime, they're often ostracized or laughed at. Um, and then that is itself is another secondary form of victimization and another form of violence in itself. So it's just um, where we are, as I said before, we're in a major crisis. And, 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 and our, our president is very, very much aware of it. I mean, there's, there was a group of activists and feminists that got together and, under the label of the Total Shutdown Movement. And in mm -hmm. 2008, I mean, we had our national march, and it even extended to Kenya, to Lesotho, and, and if I'm not mistaken, Botswana, where we literally shut down the country, um, where they shut down the country um, demanding justice for gender-based violence within the country. And then a summit was held towards the end of, of 2018, where the president acknowledged that, that, he, that we were in a crisis and certain demands, in fact, there were 24 demands that were handed over, and not all of them have been achieved, and not all of them have, have, have you know, there hasn't been a lot of change with that. So this was all happening prior to the lockdown. And then now with the lockdown, this is just the added stress that is then added onto the country, added onto NGOs, activists, feminists, and most of all, victims and, 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 and people who are living in violent homes. 
And, and just before we actually talk about how this this uh, the, the domestic violence, gender-based violence, has been exacerbated by the lockdown, let's let's try and and, figure, uh, and discuss a little bit about what the different kinds of domestic violence are. You've you've touched on quite a few of them already, um, yeah. and and knowing that this this intimate partner violence it occurs when someone uh, close to you has power and control. And, and it may not always be obvious that you are in an abusive relationship. So what are the different kinds of uh, intimate partner violence that exist? Yeah. Um, first of all, okay, there's physical, which is obvious. It's the hitting, the punching, biting, and so forth. Sexual. And, and this is often where, where you we kind of like underestimate people's knowledge of what sexual violence is. And it's not just about rape. It's also molestation. Um, it's using another object against person's will. Um, you know, there's also something that we've been fighting a lot in a lot of a lot of police stations is that, you know, sexual violence between married partners and, and there's still that that patriarchal ideology that there's no way that a husband can rape uh, his wife. And that just boils down okay. to, to, to the, sub, the subject of consent. So basically, um, you know, any form of abuse is going against somebody's consent. Then you have the other three which are often underlooked and that's the economical or the financial which I spoke about, either controlling your finances, not allowing you to work, um, controlling what you do spend on, what you don't spend on, and so forth. And then the emotional and psychological, which a lot of people don't understand the, the level of trauma that that, can, that, that, that that can be putting onto somebody. So, for an example, if somebody is in an apartment, in a relationship with somebody, depending on that person financially, but also this person every single day is, is emotionally abusing by, by degrading them, insulting them, telling them they're nothing, that they're not going to amount to anything. After a while, especially if the person has been dependent on that person, you start to believe it. And then that then moves into the psychological, um, how you see yourself psychologically and so forth. And so when people say, well, he's been, he or she's been abusing them for, for a couple of years, why didn't they leave the first time? More than likely, that physical abuse might have only happened a couple of years later after the emotional or psychological abuse, where they've already done so much damage, this person actually can't get up and leave. So, and that is why it's so important to talk about these issues and, and to, to let people know what their rights are and create awareness around us so that the minute you can sense those telltale signs of somebody trying to break you down, somebody trying to stop you, infringe you from doing something that you want to do as an adult, um, that already is a red flag and a telltale sign. What signs should uh, one look out for uh, to show them that they're in a, an abusive relationship? There, there are so many, and, and, and I suppose it also just depends on your context and your demographic and so forth. And that's why it's also very important to, to note that, you know, gender-based violence happens in any country, any race, any, any, in any um, jurisdiction or, or, or demographic. Um, but the, but the, the obvious signs is number one is breaking consent and you need and we need to understand what consent is and it's literally at any point that somebody says that they don't want you to do something to them. If you continue doing that, that is breaking consent. So if somebody's saying I want to go out and work and you're saying no, you cannot go out and work purely because you're the dominant person in the relationship, you're breaking consent. Um, at any point lying and being intimate with somebody and they say no, you're hurting more, well please stop. That is breaking consent. And there's a lot of unlearning as a society that we need to do. Um, myself, activist, feminist, we all 
we've all been guilty of certain terminology that has been used, of certain words, of certain, certain attitudes towards people, towards abuse and so forth, that we need to relearn and understand. One of the examples that I give to people is that if you see a, com a, a couple and you know what one, the one partner um, used to be, if they were very vivacious, if they were very outgoing, and suddenly their demeanor changed, and suddenly they're not going out as, as much as they used to, they're not speaking as much, and you can see this controlling behavior. Another obvious sign is that if somebody... Their, their dress sense changes and suddenly they're wearing longer jerseys or, or covering their body. There's a possibility, and, I'm not, and I say possibility because you can't go around just suddenly accusing people because they're wearing a jersey every day that they're being abused. But these are the telltale signs. And normally if you are close to somebody, you can feel that their demeanor has changed. You can feel that their emotional psyche has changed. And also, it's just so important to have open conversations with your friends. And more importantly, it's also just to see that if it is happening, don't use the old adage was like, well, if that's none of our business, turn a blind eye. We don't, we don't get involved in other people's affairs. Unfortunately, that dirty laundry is now out on the streets. So if Absolutely. you're in your house and you're hearing that your, your, the, your next one neighbor has been thrown against the wall, you don't turn up the music, you call the police or you call assistance to get in and see if that person is all right. You know, for too long, we have, we, people have just turned a blind eye because they don't want to get involved. Then the other issue is that, especially in families, is that well, we, we, we don't want to create a taboo around the family or negative attitude around the family, which is, mm -hmm. and, and you know, every, every family, and, and mine included, and I've been ostracized by my family, but I mean, when I speak to, to some of my girlfriends, there's always that one uncle that when he comes over, we were told, listen, go get change, change properly, certain uncle's coming over. So that automatically is putting the blame on the younger child or the young girl or whoever it is. So in situations like that, we need to start calling out those family members. You know, um, another friend of mine was saying was that Families in South Africa, particularly black families, are very quick to kick out a child if they come home and they, and, they tell, and they tell their parents that they're gay or homosexual or lesbian. But they're not so quick to, kill out, to, 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 to kick out that uncle who's been abusing or molesting one of the children in the family. And so we need to change those dynamics and have those uncomfortable conversations, but they're necessary conversations. They're, they're very uncomfortable, but they're absolutely necessary. That's yeah. so true. Um, let's just go back to the situation that we're in. We're currently, South Africa and most parts of the world is currently in a lockdown to try and uh, reduce the spread of COVID-19. How has these, how have these lockdowns exacerbated the, 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 the instances of domestic uh, intimate partner violence? You know, um, we don't have obviously the stats because because some some haven't reported cases. But as an activist, a lot of us get um, uh, messages online then we get referrals or we send the police or we go ourselves and get and get and get um, victims out of situations and that in itself has increased a lot and the problem is there was a, a slow response from police before so now there's even a slower response because they are then attending to to issues of COVID-19 so there's, there's 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 that aspect and then there's also the other aspect is that the certain what and I call them warriors who are, who are people who have been in abusive relationships but working to get out in a safe in a safe way, getting their family out and so forth. And some of us have lost contact with them because we know that the abusers have 24-7 control over their phone. 
So now it's about sending code words in, like, are you okay? Do we need to send somebody in to collect you? And, and all of these different things. So in terms of in terms of what has been happening since the lockdown, it is definitely it is definitely heightened. Um, I would say, and from looking at at, at the, the number of people who have come into our shelter since it's open, not the, that hasn't been increased in, in people coming into like shelters into into power, for instance. But definitely the level of abuse in the home has increased because number one, you've got the stress levels. Um, depending on what the economic structure is, there might be a break in or, or a lack of an income now because of the lockdown. And then another aspect, which is which is a double-edged sword, because alcohol plays a large part in it, but also we can't blame alcohol for somebody abusing somebody else. So now with a lack of alcohol, that's an added stress on that person, which is obviously going to bring an added stress into the home. And, and, and I mean, the, the numbers reported, and of, of course, as, a, as an activist, you do get these this cases, um, you, you do get calls and text messages from people around you uh, and the numbers are really alarming but they're not unsurprising i mean people are being locked in the same house with their abusers yeah and not being able to, not being able to move and and you know what people don't understand in some cases that leeway of whether the victim goes to work or when the perpetrator goes to work those couple of hours they have access and free range on their phone so they can make the calls whatever need to and then delete the messages whereas if they're at home where that cell phone is, is supposed to be kept on the table because the abuser needs to see who's phoning they don't have that access of getting out or getting, you know, or just having that leeway of speaking to somebody or speaking to a counsellor or making the necessary plans to get the children out and safety and so forth. Or in some cases that when the abuse happens, you get the, you know, um, they'll get into the car and they'll go to their parents and unfortunately they do go back. But in this case, where they can't leave at all, and, and these perpetrators also know this is just added on to, to, to the reality and the fear that's happening. As a segue, let's let's talk about some of the the, the solutions that exist. And uh, I posted something on Facebook saying that if you if you if you are in a situation, you should send me a message saying, um, "Tell me about your range of makeup products, and I'll mm -hmm. know to keep checking on you." Or and if you send me a message saying, "Please send me these these makeup products to my address, I will know to call the police and send and send them to you." Uh, mm -hmm. These are some of the things that people are trying to. The code words that the, the people are okay. trying to uh, to use to get people out of these situations. But what are some of the solutions that exist uh, uh, for people who are in a situation where they are in an abusive relationship? You know, we we need we need stronger support on a judicial level. Um, there have been a lot of amazing cases and, and winning cases where they've gotten the perpetrator out of the home so that if their children are involved, um, you know, they can try and keep a normal life as possible. And the perpetrator and then, you know, the perpetrator then needs to find an, um, another place to live and, and, and so forth. But, but the, the biggest problem is, is, is how we treat victims first hand. So when they go to report it at the police station. Um, through power, through other organizations. There's so many amazing organizations. There's Soul City, there's uh, the Soul City Institute, um, um, a whole lot of organizations that have worked with police on how to deal with, um, with, with these type of cases, the sensitivity around, the stopping of the victim blaming, yet that is still happening. So, so from a first point of view, when somebody's supposed to get help from the people that they're supposed to get help from, they're already victimized. So that is already breaking that chain. 
So we need to we need to, to enforce that stronger. And I'm going to have to bring this up now because in one of the statements that our commissioner of police stated about, you know, on, on media reporting violence and so forth, that we need to be accurate because a media reporter went out saying that a policeman had raped his wife and the police commissioner had a problem with the fact that we said it was a policeman and that they were actually already married. And our, our argument is that, are you saying because they're married that he's not allowed to be, he, he's, he's allowed to rape his wife? Or are you saying because it's a policeman? You know what I mean? So these mixed mm -hmm. misogynistic messages need to be eradicated. And we need to, it's about that dialogue that goes out. Because remember, people on the ground in our blue, our, our police officers are taking orders from people from the top. So if that message from the top trickling down is blurred and has a strong misogynist undertone, it's going to have an effect on people when they do come and they, they, they want to report the crime. Then the other aspect is our judicial system. And of course, then you've also got the aspect of the corruption. So I've dealt with cases a couple of years ago where literally it's like 3,000 rand. You can pay off a certain, a certain person within the judicial space and suddenly your docket goes missing if it's, if it's a very, very high profile cases. Other, other smaller cases, if your person down the road doesn't really have and the strong representation or activists behind you, uh, rape cases and rape dockers can go, dis can disappear for as little as 250 rand. So there's that aspect. Wow. And, then, and, then, and then also in terms of bail. So you can have second or third time offenders getting bail for a thousand rand. So they know that they can go in, they ask for bail, they're going to get out. Either they can intimidate the, the victim and the witnesses or kill them or disappear. And that we've seen in so many different types of cases. So there's just so many holes and areas that we need to look at um, in terms of trying to curb this. But then it's also about the messaging that's going out and the messaging that we're, we're telling our children, the messaging that's going out. And that's why I'm saying, what I said in the beginning is that a lot of us need to unlearn terminology and unlearn what we've been taught. And it's no fault of our, of our parents because that is what they were taught. But a lot of the things that we do say to our children and that we do say to each other do have a very strong misogynistic or patriarchal undertone. You know, like a simple thing where a, a granny is looking out to protect maybe their granddaughter, but saying, well, why are you walking around like that? You know, this uncle is coming over. You're asking for it. And that and she might not be saying it, that she's saying that the child really deserves to be raped. But in the child's mind thinking, well, what if I wear something wrong, if something happens to me, it's going to be my fault, which is wrong. At the end of the day, we yeah. should be talking to the uncle or, or even the aunt saying, listen, you are not allowed to touch the child or uh, go in and, and, and open up a case at the police station and call them out and not allow them into, your, into their home. You know, and in some families that does happen, but over the case and over the years, many families, it's just that, well, we don't want to rock the vote. Or if it's an uncle that has been providing support to the family. So that is also just another way of manipulating the situation for their own advantage. You spoke about some of the safe spaces that exist. Uh, what are these safe spaces? You said uh, power does have some safe spaces. I've yeah. seen... Uh, and I will put links on, on the description of this podcast of uh, various shelters that exist. You, can you tell us a little bit about some of these safe spaces that exist? Yeah. Well, for instance, power. I mean, power, you know, only operates in the greater Johannesburg region. And that is purely because of resources and, and funding. So we have satellite offices all over Johannesburg, but we have um, they have two, two shelters on the East Rand and they have a shelter on the West Rand. 
Um, it is also an organization that that uh, if if a if a woman and a, and it's, for, it's predominantly for women, but we also we also am taking families and children, and uh, and so each I think both between both shelters we could possibly house but up until about twenty people, um, um, adult and children. But in terms of the greater of, of the country and, 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 and reaching everybody else in the other provinces is that the Department of Social Development have different um, uh, care centers, which they call the Tutuzela Care Centers. And I'll send you the link for that. And these okay. are either safe spaces, counseling points or, 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 or shelters. The other bonus of, of going through the Department of Social Development is that they have three access points to, 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 to get help. So you can either call or you can send a please call me or you can send an SMS um, with, the, with the word help. And, and with getting access to them, there is a counselor there 24 seven. If you're in a space where you just need counseling, then you would get that telephonic counseling. Obviously now it's only telephonic, but in some in other cases, then you'd go in from face-to-face -face counseling. If it's a place of, of a, an, an emergency or an urgent and you need to get out of the place, you need a place of, 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 of safety, they will then go and find where you are and take you to a closer shelter, which is obviously an undisclosed um, um, uh, address. Um, the bonus about and, and why I say go through DSD is that if it's a case where there's violence and, and you know, just a normal uh, social worker can't just go in and get you out of, at least then you have the police protector taking you in and taking you out. And then you have access to a social worker who will then take you through the case in the judicial system and so forth. And in terms of uh, accessibility, especially at this particular period where we are in a nationwide lockdown, yeah. Um, are these are these safe spaces accessible to people, and how can they uh, access the the safe spaces? Well, you see, this is where the problem is lying at the moment. I mean, yesterday already uh, spoke to somebody who was in the dire straits, contacted the police, and they didn't arrive. Um, we're now getting hold of, and we, we you know we, somebody got it to a safe space. But the but the reality is is that we don't know if the police will have access to if we have a full access to police to go and, and and assist in these type of situations. We do know in certain provinces that that the shelters are full. So so this is where we're sitting at the moment. As far as I know now, power might I might be wrong still do have space. But you've still got the greater, you've got the greater of the country. Then the other issue, which was a problem before the lockdown, is that there's certain there's certain provinces that are that have needed shelters. So in Pumalang and KZN are, are two spaces where um, there aren't there are a lot of shelters, but a lot of them are not really dispersed into the, in the into the deeper rural areas. So we don't know if you're accessing enough people in those areas and if they're getting the the, the support and help that they need. Also dealing with the fact that a lot of um, high-powered people living in those certain areas have also have ownership and have um, domineerance over certain police stations so that they know that if somebody does go and open up a case, nothing is going to happen because there's already that dominance that, that the perpetrator has and that's that partnership and connection that they have with the police. So at the moment, to be honest with you, I, can, I can't even give you a proper answer to say is if, if, if people do have 100%, if there's 100% accuracy that they will be taken into a shelter. But where we were sitting at the moment, we're operating on, on hope and that let's just get people into safe spaces and, and get people out of those homes um, from, a, from just an obvious point of view so that, so that we, we have fewer deaths 
but also just from an emotional point of view because everyone is on lockdown. So if there's a family with children, it is definitely going to affect the children. Um, if there's mental illness, it's just going to heighten it even more. If there's a sense of depression or society, it's going to, or suicide, it's going to be pushed into that as well. Are, are there any resources that are available for people to access on, on knowing what their rights are? Because we did say earlier that one of the problems that, uh, that, that causes a lot of domestic violence cases is that people do not know what do not know their rights. Uh, what are the what are the available resources on that? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, from a South African point of view, the uh, South African gov uh, gov .za, uh, there are a lot of there's a lot of knowledge there. If you go to the Power website, that's powa.co.za, um, the Seoul City Institute have um, a phenomenal amount of resources. Also, if you follow certain activists, um, uh, there's myself, there is um, Yvette Raphael, who's on, on, on all social media streams. Um, there was somebody else I was going to say, Lisa Vetten, who is, who is known for, 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 for doing a lot of research within gender-based violence, within femicide and so forth. The writing is there. It's, it's, it's on a lot of different websites. I do a lot of writing around that. I mean, my writing is all about women, African arts, and, I sp and, I, and I'm always punting people's rights and so forth. But I mean, it's, it's out there. And, if you, and, and also with the Department of Social Development, that was the other, the, the other resource that has it. Um, but if you Google what are your rights on gender-based violence, it's there. You know, um, unfortunately, a lot of policies have not been changed to include many members of LGBTQI, and, and that is something that we're working on. But, but in terms of basic rights and understanding what abuse is, understanding your judicial space and all of that, you're the government sites, it's there. And it's on, and it's on it's social media strands as well. And you're right. Yeah, domestic violence and intimate partner violence does also occur in a, in a significant sense in, in same-gender relationships. Yeah. Um, and just a final question, how can people uh, keep themselves safe in this, in this unprecedented time that we live in? Yeah, you know, because, because of the, the, the pressure and it's, you know, I was speaking to one of my mentors the other day and because we don't have a blueprint on this, it's not like somebody who's died and you know there's a mourning period and then after that you're gonna get back to work and there's certain things you can do, there's a book you can read or so forth. We don't know what is going to happen. So, yeah. I mean, the COVID, you've got to create your own form of coping mechanisms just for COVID itself. And I mean, for me is that, and I've learned this also from, from dealing with my post-traumatic stress from previous abuse um, um, cases, which I've managed to get through. And, but, but then you still get triggered. And, and that is that when an emotion comes to you, deal with it. So if you suddenly have this overwhelming sense of crying and this pain, go to the root of that and find what is causing that pain and cry it out or speak it out to somebody or what have you. So, so you need to be honest to your body. You need to be honest to your emotions. We're on lockdown. Um, as an entrepreneur and as a, as, an, as a freelancer, yes, we're incredibly worried about whether we're going to be making our bills next month. But also, if that day that I write, let me, some days that I wake up that I cannot get out of bed, and you know what, for three hours, I will lie in that bed and, and deal with my emotions. And then later on, I can be productive. So there's that, there's that number one. But it's also about knowing your small circles and making sure that you're in contact with each other constantly and reaching out, especially to those strong ones. Because people often underestimate, oh, well, that person's always strong, she's always strong. They're strong because they're carrying a lot. But remember, we're also human. You know, and so, so when we're not dealing with the situation or we're not handling 
um, one, there's got to be that friend that, that's going to be able to pick up on that. And I've got those friends of mine who call me up and say, listen, we know what, what is the situation? Cry, talk it out, shout, whatever it is. So it's about constant communication with people that are close. And then, and, and then if you know, like what you said about putting up those, those messages on Facebook and, and, and putting up those messages on social media, if you know there's certain families or relationships that you were suspected before, reach out to them, find code words. I mean, with what you said about, about the makeup, I mean, I also put out, put out a request to somebody in about Tupperware. And we've helped a few people, but there was a request that came all the way from Tampa, Florida. So for the last couple of hours, I've been like trying to find an organization in Tampa that can try and get assistance to this person. Because if somebody's reaching out to that point to an absolute stranger, there's got to be somebody around them that might know. And so, so this is not the time to call a blinder. If you're suspicious, rather be suspicious and phone through. Call the police and and call out the police. Call out people if they're not if they're not adding if they're not owning up to what they're supposed to be doing, especially you know situations of crises. You know, and then of course stay at home. You know, um, our emergency and medical uh, practitioners are just you know I I take off my hat and I salute them all, even the ones that aren't working on the front line of COVID. You know, they're leaving their families. Um, a lot of them aren't, you know, and so there's that, ah, the stress that's added. So don't be that idiot that's going out and spreading it, that they needed to go get that cigarette down the road or, or um, wanted to go visit the girlfriend, knowing very well that they might have been in contact with somebody who's, who's infectious. Um, let's just, let's just, you know, let's just stay home, really, because I don't think people have really got into grips of the, of the severity of what, what, what could actually happen in this country and what is happening in New York and the rest of the country and rest of the world, you know, and we're not, we're not equipped medically. I mean, we weren't equipped before medically. So with a pandemic, we really need to all be doing our best. For, for people who, who are seeing uh, situations uh, unfolding on, mm. uh, on their friends or their family, I, th I think one of the main thing is to ask if something is wrong. You just said that yeah. instead of waiting for them to come to you and yeah. Um, yeah. to express concern instead of judging or blaming them mm. um, yeah. and do not pressure people, just listen and validate them yeah. and, and, and do and, not and place conditions on support. Absolutely. And that, that is so that is so important because often people say, well, what are we supposed to do? And sometimes, you know, just listening is doing so much or letting that person know that you believe them, you know, um, and you might have so many questions to ask, but you're, you're not in the right position to ask those questions. Rather, rather be that, that that sense of comfort for that person, because if it goes to the judicial system, then they, those questions will come out. But in the fourth, first front, the first thing you can't say to somebody is like, well, it's your fault, or why don't you leave, or why don't you tell me sooner, or you, it, this happened 20 years ago, why, why are you talking about it now? No, those questions are totally irrelevant. The fact that they're speaking about it now, you need to respect and you need to, you need to hold that in sanctity. Well, uh, th thank you so much for taking your time to speak to me on this. It's a, it's a dire situation that people are going through. And, yeah. Um, and there is really not so much that people can do under a lockdown, but the fact that we're putting the information out there is, is really important. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for, for, so, for creating the space and the platform, you know. And, and just another thing, just before you close off, is that it's great. And that was one of the reasons why I, was, I really wanted to do this interview with you, is that it's so refreshing. And it may, may sound weird to you, but it's so refreshing that when, when, when a man is trying to find out and ask the relevant questions as opposed to dictate to us on what we're supposed to do. 
you know, and I think right. I think platforms like this and listening and asking these questions, and then and then you create your own your your own objectives around it. But the fact that you're asking, and we need stronger voices, not to tell us what to do, but stronger voices to to have communication amongst yourselves as men. You know, um, often I have I, I say to men, they were like, well, what can I do? I'm like, well, what are you? What conversations are you having with your guys in the locker room? What conversations are you having if you're in a bar and a guy is disrespected to another woman? Are you laughing at all or are you calling them out? You know, because that is also doing, that is also being proactive and doing something for the moon. It's not necessarily fighting with activists. You're doing your bit to change it within your own environment. You know, we've all been, we, yes, we want to change the world, but we've got to start with home first. So if you haven't sorted out your domestic issues, you can't be going out into the street and demanding and then coming back and, and playing a different tune. Thank you, thank you for that, and 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 that's that's basically what I've been saying from the very beginning of this podcast that um, that we need to find solutions that are based on the lived realities of the people who are suffering whatever it is that mm. they're suffering. Yeah. So, and and thank you, thank you so much for taking your time. Um, I hope that this is going to help uh, someone out there to reach out and 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 find uh, help and. And, and help people who are seeing these things happening to their friends and family to reach yeah. out and, and find out what it is that they can do for these people. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And have a good Easter. Try not eat it too much. I've already uh, polished off a whole thing of hot cross buns. <laughs> like, oh, wow. I, yes. I'm, I'm just baking and eating. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> good for you. Right. So we'll, we'll roll right. out of our homes at the end of it. It's all good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, take care.